Hey, welcome back. Thanks for being with us as we finish out the week in the fourth chapter here of the book of Exodus. Um, Moses and God are um, having conversation about Moses's return to Egypt. Moses is not 100% on board yet, and God is um, patiently uh, helping him along. And we pick up the story today in the fourth chapter. I think probably a part of the story that most people know, at least um, some of the details. I don't know if we'll read all the way through it, but we'll kind of give you the gist of what's happening here. Um, start here in verse one of chapter four. Moses answered, suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said, what's in your hand? He said, a staff, and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and gripped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And then there's a similar thing, uh, verse 6, again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. He put it inside, and when he took it out, his hand had leprosy, as white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. So he put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second. If they will not believe even the two signs or heed you, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So this is uh, essentially God is arming Moses with a trio of signs, uh, the things that he can perform before the Pharaoh or the people. And, you know, we what's interesting, I think, about this, Michael, is we sort of continue in this question and answer period from God where Moses says, you know, who will I say sent you? I am. I'm going to send you. I'm going to go with you. You're going to worship back in this place. And then Moses says, but suppose they don't believe me or they don't listen to me. Suppose they say the Lord did not appear to you. So we 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 are sort of continuing to play worst case scenario here. And yes, I think God graciously gives signs, but those signs, these these acts, these miraculous things, events, are prompted by Moses being skeptical and I I think fair to say even reluctant. Yeah. I, I would also point out that is somewhat in the signs themselves, Clint. I mean, think of the three signs. You've got the snake, which really the last reference we had to the snake or a serpent would have been in Genesis chapter three, and we all know uh, how that was. And then you think of the leprous hand, a disease, uh, by the way, a feared disease. And then you think the idea that you're going to put Nile water on the sand and it's going to turn into blood. I mean, all of these are very visceral. Um, in one case, a disease. Uh, in another case, uh, you know, blood just being uh, th that idea of, of life and um, uh, death, you know, all wrapped up in that, that image of the blood. So... The, the signs themselves, Clint, I, I would be interested to do more research uh, to, to hear some of the symbolism happening here, because I'm certain I don't have a good grasp on it. But just the sheer selection of those, as opposed to, hey, here's bread that came from nothing, right? <laughs> or here's mm. uh, a miraculous 
uh, a, a multiplication of something. You know, I mean, that would be an interesting sign, but the signs we have here very clearly represent uh, a, a darker shadow in some ways. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's speculation, Michael. I've not done a ton of homework, but I know that snakes are important in the Egyptian sort of pantheon of divine creatures. Snakes matter to the Egyptians. And then you have leprosy, which is uh, a very feared disease. And even in the Old Testament, it is assumed that something that only God could cure. There was no yeah, untreatable known cure. And then finally, you, you have this very interesting reference to water from the Nile. Remember that it was into the Nile River that the Pharaoh ordered that the children be thrown. So to have this water transformed to blood is perhaps a tie-in to the story itself. I, there may be more to it than that. I'm sure that um, in the in the centuries since, somebody has put forth better ideas and better theories, but I do think um, there's a chance in which all three of these tie back into the narrative in some way, shape, or form. You know, Clint, the, the sheer idea of signs is now being introduced mm-hmm. into this story, and we know that that's going to be very substantial uh, in the story to come, as uh, it is not only a challenge to convince the people of Israel uh, that Moses has been sent, but ultimately the challenge will be to convince Pharaoh uh, that this is the thing to do. But in the midst of this conversation, uh, the sign language is, to my knowledge, the first that we that we have seen that thus far in our studies of Genesis to the New Testament. Is that true? Well, there have been some miraculous things, but I I don't know that they've been intended. If they've been called to signs, convince anyone of anything. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see sign language later on in the Old Testament, where you have Gideon uh, calling or asking for a sign. Um, it's going to be a very prominent theme here in Exodus. It, it's striking because here Moses is not a pillar of faith. At least not initially. It's not as if God comes to him and says, Moses, here's your task. That character who we saw originally in the story of Exodus was so impulsive, we almost got the sense that he sees this injustice happening in front of him and he just responds reactively and and he strikes down uh, the aggressor. Uh, here, when when God in a burning bush that doesn't burn speaks to Moses and then shows him these signs, uh, one upon the other, sort of leading Moses along that that he should trust God to to take care of the situation. It it seems like Moses is being presented at this point in his life for a reason, quite frankly, Clint, we're not given as being someone who's a little slower to jump into the fray. Yeah, I think the next part of the story makes it clear, but I, before we get there, I just want to add, keep in mind that unlike some of the things that are going to happen where God tells Moses, I'm going to do this, he he actually does this to Moses. Moses right. witnesses, experiences the signs himself, not, not the Nile, but the first two, the serpent from the staff and then the leprosy and the cleansing of it, th- these happen to Moses, and yet uh, he remains a little bit reluctant. So the signs that are to convince others may not have had the full effect of convincing on Moses himself. So let me just read this quickly, and then we can talk more about that, because I think this is what makes it most clear. But Moses said to the Lord, 
O my Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now, that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now I will go with you and be your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. So Moses' next hurdle, Moses' next kind of voice of of concern is, I, you know, I'm not a great speaker. Maybe th- there are other people that are eloquent. I, I'm. Some have suggested that maybe Moses had a stutter or something like that. I, I'm not. It's not clear that this is a indication of an actual problem, or if this is Moses just still sort of fishing for a way out. I, I, you could make your own decisions on that. But he says, you know, I'm I'm not a great speaker, Lord. I I don't speak. I I just that's not me. I'm not good at it. Um, and then God answers, well, I. I do that. I give words. I'm going to teach you what to say. You don't worry. Uh, you'll be fine. Yeah, the insistence here, at least implicitly, is that it is the words that are needed to convince the people that having the right thing to say is the thing at play. And of course, God has always been throughout the Old Testament narrative thus far, the one who speaks. God's the one who speaks and creation happens. God is the one who makes the promise to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, to this whole lineage that goes through Joseph. And now here we have Moses, this man who is called to say the thing that we would think everyone would want to hear right? That God has heard your cry, that God is going to come and rescue you. But instead of Moses's response being one of joyfulness or one of gratitude for God essentially saying that he's going to do the thing that Moses was kind of trying to make happen himself at an earlier stage of his life, here we see Moses incredibly reluctant and finding excuses, trying to make the case that he shouldn't be the guy to do this. And if you know anything about your Bible, saying no to God is not a viable option. Uh, At least as the Bible tells these encounters, when God calls you, uh, that calling often comes to those who don't find themselves fit or ready. And God then uh, shows up in the midst of that circumstance and makes that person fit and ready so that there's no debating who did it. Yeah, and we get to the crux of that in the next verse, uh, verse 13 here. But Moses then said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. So he's kind of, we've been through the excuses. I don't know who you are. I am who I am. What if they don't believe me? I'll give you signs. What if I don't speak well? I'll tell you what to say. Finally, Moses has no other place to go. He's backed in the corner, and he just says, please send someone else. Please. (laughs) I love this, Michael, because, you know, occasionally I'll I'll talk to people and they'll say things like, I I wish discernment, I wish God would just show me a billboard. I wish God would just give me a neon sign of what to do. And I often think to myself, I suspect whatever you'd read on that sign would not be something you'd be glad to to hear. You know, it's not just that we sometimes wonder what God's will for us is, 
It's that God's will is often going to ask of us things that we might not want to give. And certainly that's the case here for Moses. Please, Lord, send someone else. And and I think, you know, you make a good point. I don't think we've seen anything really like this so far. We certainly didn't in Genesis. Um, you know, Jonah comes to mind later yeah. in, in the Old Testament. But this is the first time I think we've just seen someone say, no, thank you. Hey, Hey, Moses, I've got this task. I've got your life calling for you. Yeah, you think there's someone else who would do it? <laughs> just, there's something beautifully human about that. Moses is a reluctant um, participant here, and it, it makes me smile. Well, if we had any doubt previous as to the reason for all of these mm-hmm. follow-up signs, it's now answered. I mean, the, ultimately, this is Moses sort of kicking against the goad and trying to resist this call that God has. And what the Bible does, I think, so masterfully, Clint, is it tells us what we need to know, and it doesn't interest itself in the things that we might even admittedly be most interested in, such as what is Moses's motivation is not really consideration here. Mm -hmm. Exodus doesn't care to share that information with us. It's not as if we're going to hear some internal dialogue, like Moses was thinking this, or Moses had this doubt, or Moses had this thing from his childhood. No, at the end of the day, the the scripture is interested in saying, here's a moment where the eternal God, the creator God, uh, reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush and says, I'm calling you to be the one to go tell the people I've heard their cry. I am going to rescue them from their Egyptian oppression. And here, all we know is that Moses turns to God and says, yeah, I'd love if somebody else would do that. At this point, it's clear that you want me to, that we've seen the three signs, and now please send someone else. And I just think there's something deeply true about that encounter, because in the moments of life, where we're seeking discernment or we're seeking, you know, God, what what do you call me to do? We often think the struggle is hearing, but I think you say wisely, Clint, that we should be very cautious to think that uh, once we know what the will is, it will suddenly be easy to accomplish. Whatever God calls us to is always outside of ourselves, and so therefore always stretches us beyond where we think we can go. Yeah, a lot of time a clear word is not going to be welcome. I think that there'll be points at which God simply is asking things that we, we don't want to say yes to. Um, and then, I mean, essentially here, God's had enough. The, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him, taking your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. So uh, God has kind of had enough. The last straw, look, Moses, you're doing this thing. Um, I'll, I'll give you a partner. You're, this is the first time we learn about a brother, Aaron, who's a Levite, a priest. Um, yeah, he'll go with you. He'll speak. I'll say things through both of you, but make no mistake, Moses, you're going. And I, 
you know, again, there's this sort of parenting aspect in that, the, the, the sort of negotiating back and forth until you finally just had enough and like, nope, this is what we're going to do. Right. Um, yeah. Yep. You, your brother can come. I'll, we'll, we'll work with him too. But Moses, I, I'm not, I'm kind of done asking. This is, you're, you're doing it. Now, quite frankly, we're going to see this in future sections of Exodus. So I want to point it out here. There is a real negotiation happening here with God. Mo- Moses is digging in his heels, and God <laughs> comes back with a certainly addition to the original plan he presented to Moses. And you know, that may make some of us uncomfortable, but the Old Testament is really not uncomfortable portraying God as someone who's having real a dialogue back and forth with the character. We already saw that in Genesis, uh, where uh, Abram was able to have this conversation back and forth with God. So I think it's it's striking, Clint, as we look at a text like this to just see that despite Moses's reluctance, God is going to make a way. Despite Moses's sense of inferior, inferiority, uh, here God has determined this this path. Um, he has determined that he's going to respond to these people's cries, and regardless of uh, how much Moses feels like he should or wants to participate in that, um, he's coming along. So, uh, by the way, this is striking for for two very quick reasons. One, notice that his brother is a Levite. That's important because the Levitical line is going to be important in the nation of Israel, so it has future significance. But also, the fact that Moses is really hesitant here is really interesting because he's going to have just an absolute pain of a time with these people, Clint. They're going to be in the wilderness complaining all the time. And it's ironic that Moses didn't really want to do this from the start and things are not always going to go to plan. So there's also a little bit of a, you know, honest reflection here from the front end. Like Moses isn't totally wrong. This isn't like the dream job. Um, there's going to be some tough times ahead because of this calling. Yeah, and I think I would also say in Moses' defense that sometimes the best leaders are reluctant. They're they're not looking for notoriety. They're not looking for you know uh, fame or fortune. That they're pressed into service by the moment, and as such, they rise to it. And I think ultimately Moses' story will show that. While he may get there slowly, he goes on to be an incredible leader and is exactly the right person for the task, though uh, not eager for it, at least initially. Bit of a cliffhanger here, folks. Uh, We finish here, and next week we actually go to Egypt. So hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. 